This morning, our scripture passage comes from Genesis chapter 41. Joseph said, the meaning is what I said earlier. God is letting Pharaoh in on what he is going to do. Seven years of plenty are on their way throughout Egypt, but on their heels will come seven years of famine, leaving no trace of Egyptian plenty. As the country is emptied by famine, there won't even be a scrap left of the previous plenty. The famine will be total. The fact that Pharaoh dreamed the same dream twice emphasizes God's determination to do this and do it soon. So Pharaoh needs to look for a wise and experienced man and put him in charge of the country. Then Pharaoh needs to appoint managers throughout the country of Egypt to organize it during the years of plenty. Their job will be to collect all the food produced in the good years ahead and stockpile the grain under Pharaoh's authority, storing it in the towns for food. This grain will be held back to be used later during the seven years of famine that are coming on Egypt. This seemed like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. Then Pharaoh said to his officials, Isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has God's spirit in him like this? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is as qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, you're in charge of my affairs. All my people will report to you. Only as king will I be over you. So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph, I am putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In my youth ministry days, we had an annual tradition of traveling to the mountains in Tennessee for our youth fall retreat. Copper Hill was our special place where we did all kinds of fun things and got into all sorts of trouble. I think my favorite trouble was the year our middle school boys decided it would be a good idea to put their cans of aerosol Axe deodorant on the bonfire to see what happened. But don't tell them that I liked that. One year we drove the long dark three hours through the mountains on a Friday night to our special place. When we finally arrived, things did not go as we had hoped. First, we had issues with our charter bus getting over the bridge and onto the property. Then we had concerns about our charter bus making it through the sea of mud up at least a little closer to our lodge. So the camp staff rigged up an open utility trailer on one of their trucks And we loaded all of our luggage and food and coolers and sound equipment and pillows and blankets on the back of this utility trailer. And you can imagine how well an open trailer works for pulling stuff up a big hill in the mud. So while the staff drove our stuff up the hill toward the lodge, we slogged through the mud up the steep hill in the pitch black frigid dark. 
And when we made it up to our lodge, I noticed one of the camp staff behind the lodge fiddling with some machinery. I went back there to check on him and he said, well, Hannah, we're having a hard time trying to get the water on up here in this building. We will get it on. It's just going to be a little bit. And I'd recommend you tell your group that really no one should use the bathroom until we get it up and going, if you know what I mean. So you can imagine how well that news went over after a three and a half hour drive. That fall retreat did not start out as we had hoped. Eventually we got running water and flushing toilets and all our muddy stuff up into the lodge. And it was a good weekend. In our current sermon series, Known in the Unknown, we've looked at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis and seen several significant ways that things did not go as Joseph had hoped. We read Joseph's story as people who know the ending, but Joseph did not. His family did not. Jacob, Joseph's father, was later in his life a man of much grief. Jacob lost his beloved wife, Rachel, who died as she gave birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. And sometimes I wonder if that's why Jacob loved Joseph so much, because he saw Rachel in him. When Joseph disappears after his brothers sell him into slavery, his brothers make up a lie about Joseph's disappearance, telling Jacob that a wild animal killed Joseph. Jacob's children try to comfort him, but he refuses their comfort. He says, I will go to the grave mourning my son. We know from the Bible that Jacob loses most of his eyesight. The tradition in the Quran is that Jacob cries until he becomes blind. He had hoped to live out his days with his wife and all his children. In the ancient Near East, the time and setting of Joseph's story, the importance of one's land and tribe cannot be overemphasized. Joseph belonged to a particular land, the land of Canaan, and to a particular people, the descendants of Abraham, his great-grandfather. What happens in Joseph's life, his exile to Egypt, was just not how things were meant to be in Joseph's time. Betrayed by his brothers, stripped of his two most fundamental blessings, his land and his family, sold into slavery, betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison for doing the right thing. Joseph lived for about 15 years in the unknown, in an extended series of unfortunate events. That is a long time to think about all the things he had hoped for. We can all identify with Joseph in some way. 
that week, that month, that year, when nothing went the way you hoped, no matter how hard you tried, that job or that relationship you hoped would work out and didn't, that degree, that stroke of luck, that good news, that hug you needed, you hoped for, but didn't receive. Today, heavy on many of our hearts is the grief that things did not go as we had hoped for our pastor, Doyle. We hoped for more time with him. We hoped for Doyle to be able to enjoy his retirement that he so looked forward to with his wife and his children and grandchildren. We hope to celebrate the conclusion of Doyle's ministry here with him. So many things we had hoped. Those words have been my prayer this week. Oh God, we had hoped. And as I have been thinking and sitting with those words, I remembered another place in scripture where those same words are said. Early on the first day of the week, two men walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were sad. The death of Jesus meant the end of their discipleship. They felt as though the wind was gone from their sails. Jesus was dead, and the kingdom had not come. They were confused and bewildered. As the men walked, a stranger came and walked alongside them. The stranger didn't seem to know anything about all the hubbub in Jerusalem, and so they explained everything to him. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They said to the stranger, so many things they had hoped. The Bible's stories, poems, and letters are full of longings and hopes. And in the end, they are a narration of the compassion of God. God's compassionate providence God's ever-present concern are woven through thousands of losses, thousands of days spent in exile, wilderness, unknown, thousands of mistakes, all pointing to the truth of God's compassionate involvement with God's creation. Sometimes we can feel lost and abandoned by God, wondering if God is even there. Sometimes it's hard to put into words our longing or how God meets us and works in our lives in times of longing. The writer of Genesis tells us that the pits and prisons of Joseph's life are the places where Joseph is assured that God has not lost or abandoned him. 
the dark places seems to be where God does the most illuminating work in Joseph's life. Though we never imagined it could happen, Joseph chooses to join the presence and activity of God. In today's story, we see that Joseph's dreams and what he does with them now belongs to God. The way Joseph uses his appeal and influence is now more about making things better for other people and less about himself. Imagine the power and compassion of God that must have been present in the pits and prisons of Joseph's life. Imagine all those times Joseph must have made a choice to partner with God because we know that no one matures in faith without making many, many choices to do so. Because of God's goodness and Joseph's willingness, good things happen and many people are saved. For some reason, God sees fit to work in the life of a really unlucky slave boy from Canaan to save the land of Egypt from famine. And neither Egypt nor Israel imagined God having any interest in working across cultures to save lives in times of famine. The writer of Luke tells us that the space of grief and hopelessness for Jesus' followers after his execution is the space where Jesus came to them and assured them they did not grieve or hope in vain. Jesus walked alongside the travelers on the road to Emmaus, inviting them to see and follow him in a new way. Our faith ancestors entrusted to us these stories with the belief and faith that we would live the same truth, that these would become our stories, the compassion of God made known to us in the dark and difficult places. In the economy of God, the means are just as important as the end. How we get there matters as much as getting there. And that is why the rough patches, the unknowns, the we had hopes are holy ground. Those are places where God sits with us in the dark or walks alongside us on the dusty road. And when our hearts and minds and bodies and souls are open to trusting God, and relying on God in those places, they become places of transformation, places of seeing and experiencing God in new ways, places where new and good things are possible. I've been thinking a lot this week about that youth fall retreat that did not begin as we had hoped. 
helping each other lug those heavy coolers up the muddy hill in the dark, holding off on using the bathroom so someone else who needed it more could. There was a lot about that dark, cold Friday night that invited us to love each other a little more deeply with a little more compassion and grit. We experienced Jesus's presence at all our fall retreats. The same was true that Friday night, just in a different way. I think this has been on my mind lately as I have wondered how in the days and months ahead, God will be with us in the unknown, in the grief, and how it might be an invitation for us to love each other a little more deeply with a little more compassion and grit. Wherever you are today, whatever unknown you face, grief you carry or pit you may be in, Christ the Lord is with you. The compassion of God surrounds you. And when you are ready, God is ready to work in you something that is deeply good and will change your life. Please pray with me. Oh God, whatever unknown or darkness is before us or around us, may we trust, simply trust in you that you may will and work for good things, for things that change our lives. Amen.